Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Hello. Here we are. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> on our own. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome yeah. in. Welcome in. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, I was thinking about this earlier, if people like the two-part thing. You know, I thought that too because, yeah, I just don't know. I can't tell based on listens. <laughs> I'm just wondering if people would prefer when we have these big cases like this to have one really long episode that's like an hour and a half long or Mm. the two-part thing like we do. That would be good. You could write us in and let us know what you prefer. And maybe we could do a poll after this. Yes. You know, so that we can hear. I think so. I think that's what we should do because I – me personally, when I listen to a podcast that has a two part, I don't listen to the first part until I can immediately listen to the second part right. after. So I listen to them back to back. So I do take like an hour and a half or however right. long it is, two hours, and listen to the whole thing in like one. That's thing. true. Yeah. So, but I know some people don't have time to do that or the desire to sit there for an hour and a half and listen to us ramble. So, anyway, right. let us know. Yeah. Yes, please, because that would be a good. I mean, not that it, it, it won't. It doesn't change how we do things because we would just record it all as one, and you know exactly. we do that anyway when we record. We record, record both sessions together anyway, so it wouldn't you know change how we do things, but it would change how we post them. So yeah, right. <clears throat> and what, what do you all think about this nice voice I have right now? The serial killers gave me laryngitis. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. Yeah, we were supposed to record um, some other cases. Like sometime after the first serial killer, Last Carrie Stainer came out. Yeah. And we had to cancel because I had zero voice. <laughs> she could really did not have any voice at all. Mm-hmm. It was- I was sending her snaps just be- just so she could hear it. <laughs> and She's like, she couldn't really what hear it. What do you think? Do you think we should go ahead and record? <laughs> no, stop smoking. No. <laughs> yes. no. It's getting better, but it's not. It's definitely not the same. And I only, I mean, I can tell, but I can hear it like when we record something and then I listen back to it and I'm like, ooh. ooh. Yes. <laughs> doesn't sound like me. <laughs> so anyway. Well, you can rest your voice today because I am going to do the talking so that we can finish talking about Israel Keys. Go. Let's go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, here we are, back in the saddle. <sighs> my goodness gracious. You ready to hear more about <laughs> I'm Israel? I'm going to fall out of my saddle, aren't I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> fall right over. Nasty dude. He's, mm-hmm. It's terrifying to me. Yeah. Terrifying. The randomness of it, it's just terrifying. So mm-hmm. if you haven't listened to part one, to know why we're so scared, go back, do that. You're going to want to know all the nightmare mm-hmm. things. Okay. Yesterday, we talked about Israel's upbringing his army life. We know that he is currently living a double life 
one in Alaska with his girlfriend and daughter running, running a successful construction business, and a second life where he travels down to the lower states and hides murder kits and commits a net multitude of crimes, but awful murders. Mm-hmm. He's a meticulous planner, so he's not to be caught, stakes out areas. Okay. Chooses victims at random. Mm-hmm. Today, for part two, we are going back to Anchorage, Alaska, where Israel is living, and it is February 2012. Israel is about to break trend. He is about to commit a crime very close to home. Mm. I am going to tell you about a lovely young lady named Samantha Koenig, which is Israel Key's probably most known Mm-hmm. Victim, murder, right? I'm sure that's probably what you know of him. Samantha Tesla Koenig was born in Anchorage, Alaska on August 30th, 1993. Her parents were James Koenig Jr. and Darlene Rich. Samantha loved animals. She loved her friends. She loved fishing with her grandpa, who she called Papa. Aww. Playing and writing music, photography, poetry, and camping. She had a big personality, beautiful smile, and she had a sarcastic wit that everyone loved about her. She wanted to work with animals, but was also considering enlisting in the Navy to become a nurse. Hmm. So clearly, like, this girl is a giver. She likes to take care of animals. She wants to take care of people. She was raised by her dad, James. He was a single dad. And the two of them were very close, and he called her Honey Bunny. I know. And Samantha attended West High School, and it was there that she met her boyfriend, Dwayne. Her and Dwayne had very similar hobbies and interests. They loved doing outdoor things, camping, fishing, and they loved playing Call of Duty together. Dwayne had been kicked out of his parents' house, and Samantha's dad had allowed him to move in to their house with them. Hmm. So the two of them were very much in love. And in February of 2012, Samantha was 18 years old, and she had just gotten a job at a local coffee stand called Uncommon Grounds. So it's, like, pretty common Mm -hmm. in that area that there were these, like, cute little stands on the side of the road that are in parking lots and things like that that would sell coffee. And Samantha was super excited about this because she loved coffee and she wanted to be a barista. So she was really excited about this job, and her customers, like, loved her. Is it like that little one on Main Street in Rollsville? I always think of that, too. It's called the Coffee Lodge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little log cabin. Super similar to that. Yeah. (laughs) On February 1st of 2012, Samantha was working alone in the coffee stand. Her boyfriend, boyfriend, (laughs) boyfriend, Dwayne, took her to work and dropped her off. And then he went on to his job. He was a chef at like a steakhouse just a few miles away from the coffee stand. Samantha was supposed to get off work at eight o'clock and Dwayne had planned on like taking a break from his job around that time to come and pick her up and take her home. And then he would go back to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Samantha's dad called her around seven o'clock to check in and they spoke for a few minutes on the phone. Everything was fine. She was like, dad, bring me dinner. But he was still working. So, you know, all good. All fine. 
Then around eight o'clock, when Samantha was supposed to get off, Dwayne wasn't able to take his break on time because things were just backed up at work. So he actually didn't get there to pick Samantha up until about 8.15. So he was a little bit late. When he got to Uncommon Grounds, all the lights in the stand were off. And this was unusual because they kept the lights on all night long. So even though it was closed, they would still keep the lights on in the stand. Hmm. So he thought this was kind of weird. He'd never really seen it before. So he tried to call Samantha, tried to text her, but he wasn't able to reach her. So he got worried, right? And he called Samantha's dad. And Samantha's dad was like, well, maybe she just got a ride home with a friend, you know, since you were late. Maybe she just called somebody else or saw somebody else and they took her home. I'm sure it'll be fine. She'll, she'll be at home later. Mm-hmm. So Dwayne went on back to work and finished his shift. He got home about 1130. But when he got home, Samantha wasn't there. Mm. So now he's really worried. And he wakes her dad up and her dad's like, well, you know, he's thinking maybe they had a fight Mm. And she just didn't want to deal with Dwayne. And so she went off with friends or whatever. You know, I'm sure she'll be fine. I'm sure she'll show up. Right. Right. But Dwayne knew that that wasn't true. He knew that they had not had a fight. Everything was fine. But there just wasn't really much he could do about it. So, you know, he just continued to call her, continued to text her. No luck. Never got a hold of her. A few hours later, Dwayne got a text message from Samantha from her phone. And the text read, I'm going to my friend's house for a few days. Tell my dad I love him. You won't hear from me until I come home. Hmm. So Dwayne is really confused and worried. Yeah, I was, say, was that strange to them? Super strange. Like <laughs> yeah. this is at this point, he is like, something's going on. Like what happened? Where is she? What's going on? So he's trying to call her back, trying to text her back. Nothing. No luck. So he stays up. He's like, I'm staying up. I'm waiting on her. I can't go to sleep. I'm super worried. Around three or so in the morning, Dwayne hears a car door close in front of the house. He's like, oh, cool. She's home. Somebody's bringing her home. So he jumps up. He runs outside. And he sees a man dressed in all black, wearing a ski mask, leaning into the driver's door of their truck. So he yells at the man and then runs back inside to get James, Samantha's dad. Mm -hmm. But by the time they come back out, the man is gone. So they go look in the truck and they're like, everything seems fine. Like whatever this guy was hunting for, he didn't get anything. So, you know, whatever. So James's dad is a James. Samantha's dad is awake now. Right. Mm -hmm. So Dwayne says like Samantha's not here and shows him the text message and is like, she sent me this text message. I try to call her back. I try to text her back. Nothing. It's something's going on. So now now James is worried. Now Mm -hmm. dad's like, "Okay, where's Samantha? So they jump in the car, they go to the coffee stand, they look for her, they look for like any anything around, whatever. And James, the dad, he ends up calling the owner of the coffee stand and is like, we can't find Samantha. Like I last talked to her at seven o'clock, by 8.15, she was gone and all the lights were out. Mm-hmm. So the coffee stand owner is like, well, let me pull surveillance. You know, I've got video cameras in, in the coffee stand and on, outside the coffee stand. Let me pull them, see what's going on pull up the footage from the night before and what they saw was terrifying around 8 p.m so close to closing time a man dressed in all black with a black ski mask came walking through the parking lot 
up to the window of the coffee stand. He orders a coffee, which Samantha made. She handed it to him, and then he pulls a gun on her. She throws her hands up, she backs away, and then was instructed to turn all of the lights off in the stand, which she does. You can watch Mm -hmm. this surveillance footage. The man then climbs through the window Mm -hmm. of the coffee stand and ties her hands behind her back. The two of them are then seen exiting the back of the coffee stand and walking away through the parking lot. Oh, my gosh. So if you haven't guessed it, the mystery man is Israel Keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's mm-hmm. who we're talking about. So police are immediately called, right? This is super alarming. She has been taken and the search is on. Missing posters are placed everywhere. There's land, air searches. Everyone is looking for this missing girl and this mystery man, right? Police obtained surveillance footage of a Home Depot parking lot, which was across the street from the coffee stand. And in that, they see this man and Samantha, like, from far away. It's from, like, 100 feet away. But they get into a white pickup truck. Mm. So because it's so far away, they're not able to get a license plate or a good description of the man because it's really grainy. I mean, it is far, far away. But they do know that that he's got this white truck. So they think that it's a Chevy pickup truck and they estimated it to, to be like from 1999 to 2007. So it's a big range, but I guess the models are similar during that time frame. So the FBI is called in at this point and everyone is searching for this white truck, but there are over 3000 of them in oh, the area. Wow. So, because this is a huge span of time I and mean, we're talking about yeah. like eight years model wise you know white chevy truck they're in Mm -hmm. alaska everybody has a truck so this is quite a job to rule people out and narrow things things down the community comes together they raise sixty thousand dollars as a reward and this is offered they're holding search parties vigils are continual continuing to be held but weeks go by with no sign of samantha no sign of the white truck or this mystery man Mm mm-hmm Then on February 24th, over two weeks after Samantha was abducted, Dwayne, her boyfriend, gets another text message from her phone. Oh, my. This text reads, quote, Connor Park sign under pick of Albert. Ain't she purdy? What? So Dwayne... And Samantha's father, Connor Park is like a park, a small mm-hmm. park that's located like in Anchorage, Alaska. So they go to the park. And when they walk in the park, they find a billboard. And the billboard has posters and signs and things like that, like nailed to the billboard. And there was a missing poster for a dog named Albert. Mm. And behind the poster of Albert there was a plastic bag nailed to the board. So they call police. Police come, and inside the bag, there was a ransom note, which was asking for $30,000 to be deposited inside Samantha's bank account that was tied to her ATM card. And there's also a really blurry photo. Hmm. In the photo is Samantha. She's sitting up. She's looking at the camera. She has this like haunting blank stare. 
And beside her is a current issue of the local newspaper. Hmm. So it's like a proof of life picture. Mm -hmm. And he's asking for this money. So with reward money raised by the local community, remember they raised that $60,000, and under authority's instruction, James deposits the money into the bank account. And they wait. Mm -hmm. And so will you. Because I'll tell you what happens next right after this break. Okay, so later on, after Israel's arrest, we find out what actually happened to Samantha. He says that he chose Uncommon Grounds because it was open later than other coffee stands and because of its location. He said he had never seen Samantha before, ever. He said that he had planned on using her car, but then whenever he found out that she didn't have one, he was forced to use his own truck. So that mm. was like a little mishap. And while they were on the way to his truck, she had actually managed to get away and run. Oh, wow. But he tackled her and was able to subdue her and get her to his truck. He said he initially just planned on robbing her, but he gave in to his urges and abducted her and decided to kill her. He was able to get her to cooperate by telling her that he was going to hold her for ransom and that he would let her go. Mm -hmm. He said, I just want money. I'm not, I don't want to hurt you. But he, you know, he was never going to let her go. Right. He jumped into the stand and put zip ties around her wrists and again, had to take her to his truck. As they were driving, he asked Samantha for her cell phone and for her ATM card. Mm -hmm. He said he wanted her cell phone because he needed to send a ransom text. And he needed her ATM card because he was going to use that to get the ransom. So this is all in line for her. She's super scared. So she's like, okay, I'll fine, I'll cooperate. But she's like, I don't have them. I don't have either one oh. of them. My cell phone was left back at the coffee stand. I didn't, I didn't grab it before you abducted me and zipped right. my hands. Wasn't what I was thinking of grabbing when I was getting right. abducted. Mm -hmm. And then she says that her ATM card is in, it's in the truck. It's in Dwayne's truck. I don't have it. I don't, I have mm. nothing. Like you, you kidnapped me. I don't have mm -hmm. anything. So this crazy dude drove back to the coffee stand and got her cell phone. He's like, cool. I'll just go back and get it. Was there surveillance video of that? There was, but they did not look at it ori originally. Oh, it was because like days after or whatever. No, it was the same night. Oh. But like they watched the surveillance of her being abducted and, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, somebody stole her. Let's mm -hmm. go stole her. Stole her. <laughs> abducted her. It's a Bethism. <laughs> <laughs> She'd been stolen. Um, Somebody abducted her and, you know, now we just have to go on this manhunt. But, you know, later on, it's it's there. Mm -hmm. So he then, he gets her phone, right? Goes back to the coffee stand, gets her phone, and then sends the text to Dwayne, her boyfriend, saying, I'm going away, you know, you're not going to hear from me, whatever. And then he immediately removes the battery from her phone. Mm. He then got Samantha to tell him her address so that he could get that ATM card. He's like, just tell me where you live. I'll go get it. I'm not going to hurt anybody, whatever. And he goes to her house and gets the ATM card out of the truck and is almost caught by her boyfriend, Dwayne, mm -hmm. but ends up getting away. 
Mm-hmm. He then got Samantha to tell her his PIN number, again, with the promise, I just want money. I'll let you go once I get my money. Israel took Samantha to his house and, my gosh, get your pants, and put her inside a shed that was beside his home. While there's a girlfriend and a daughter living. His daughter. Mm-hmm. His little daughter. Right there. And when I say this was in a shed beside his home, you it was so close to his house, you couldn't even walk between the two. Oh, really? Like, it is like... Like, was it attached? No, it wasn't attached. But it was like, you know, it's like, here's his house and here's his driveway. And the shed is like at the end of the driveway. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but it's like so close to the house. So mm-hmm. he turns music on really loud so that nobody would be able to hear what was going on in the shed. And he keeps Samantha in there and just repeatedly sexually assaults her. He strangles her over and over again and then bring like to the point where she passes out, brings her back repeats the process Mm. this is torture this is Mm -hmm. awful horrific awful so eventually he ends up strangling her until she dies and then he just leaves her in the shed does nobody else go in the shed like that's is that off apparently that was a big deal that the shed was like his space it was his man cave it's where he went to do his things. You know, he was a handyman, so he had lots of tools. So no, apparently. Mm-hmm. It was off limits to everybody else. Then, so he leaves her in the shed. This sick, sick piece of black-hearted, hot garbage <laughs> flew to New Orleans and boarded a cruise to the Gulf of Mexico with his family for two weeks. He goes oh on vacation. Oh, my word. Goes on vacation. Two weeks? Two weeks. He's on a two-week cruise, which just sounds horrific to me. And she's just in that shed. She's just like, in the shed. Not hidden or anything in no. the shed. Just in there. Just in the shed. Rotting. Well, she was... Well, it's, it's Alaska. Oh, in February. That's true. Okay. Right. So it's very cold there. Um, but like... And all the while, her family has no clue where she is. They're so frantically searching for her like how the many, whole town of anchorage is terrified right how many miles from the coffee shop to his house i don't like, know you That's don't know question okay. okay oh maybe on the live we'll we'll mm-hmm. talk about that i don't know okay. but i don't know that anchorage is not like a super huge place right i mean it is well, it's one of the bigger cities in alaska but right yeah 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 so i don't know how far away it was but i mean here she is in this sh- this poor family like okay mm-hmm so when he gets back to Anchorage after his relaxing two-week cruise, right, I right. hate him so much, mm-hmm. he decided he better figure out a plan for the body. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I'm, la- I'm not, but it's like, you know, he's like, I probably should deal with that. So the sweet girl, he took Samantha's body and applied makeup to it. <sighs> he then sewed her eyes open with fishing wire, posed her with the newspaper, the local newspaper mm. for the ransom photo, placed it on the board, put the battery back in her phone, sent the text message to her boyfriend about the ransom note, and waited until they deposited money, mm. which they did, remember. 
Mm-hmm. So now he has all this ransom money, $30,000. Right. And the police are watching this account every second. Because remember, at this time, they don't know. They don't know who he is. He's still a mystery. Mm-hmm. We know, but they don't know. So first, there are three withdrawals in Anchorage very quickly. Then, just a few days after the deposit, there's a withdrawal in Wilcox, Arizona. So all the way in Arizona, just mm-hmm. a few days later. So he's flown there. Mm-hmm. Like, he got away in a hurry. And police are like, whoa, whoa. They were shocked at how quickly he was able to, like, get so far away. Then there's a withdrawal in Lawrenceburg, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Then Humble, Texas. And then Shepherd, Texas. So... Police are, like, obtaining sur- – they're, they're finding out that he, you know, is, like, withdrawing all of this stuff. But, I mean, they're, they're steps behind him, just steps behind him. Because mm-hmm. every time they go to the ATM, he's not there. They get surveillance footage. And they have footage of him. But he's always in a ski mask. He's always wearing a hat. His, like, identity is always hidden. So they, they don't know who he is. They just can't identify him. And they're just steps behind him. But then he stops in Texas, and there's a surveillance camera in Texas that shows him getting in and out of a 2012 white Ford Focus. So they're like, Mm. boom, 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 (laughs) shaklaka. So authorities put out a be on the lookout for this white Ford Focus. So everyone, especially authorities in Texas, are on the lookout for this car, for this white car. Mm-hmm. And then on March 13th of 2012, there's an officer in Lufkin, Texas, who was just just patrolling and he's driving through a hotel parking lot and he spots a car that matches this description. He's like, well, that's a 2012-ish white Ford Focus. It's out of state mm-hmm. plates. Weird. And he calls it in. Like, bless his heart. Right. Yeah. So they then confirm that this is, in fact, the vehicle that they are looking for. So they watch it. They just sit and watch it. And eventually, a man comes out of the hotel room, gets in the car, and drives off. So they're like, hey, yo, we got our guy. He's a man. He's in this car, whatever. So they pull him over. And when they pull him over, he hands them an Alaska driver's license. So they're like, there's not a lot of people Mm. from Alaska hanging out in Lufkin, Texas. They've got their guy, and they identify Israel Keys. Upon search of the car, they find Samantha's cell phone, which was in the car, and her ATM card was in his wallet. Hmm. So, piece of crap, Israel, was extradited back to Alaska and charged with the murder of Samantha Koenig, And his trial is set for the following year, March 2013. During one of his preliminary hearings, he tried to escape. What? He was able to break his ankle restraints and jump over the railing and try to run. (laughs) But they tased him. I was going to say, there hasn't been, there wasn't people too far behind him. Right. No. (laughs) Time. Not a good plan. Poor plan. plan. (laughs) Okay, so he was honest about Samantha's murder, and he told them all the details, which is how I was able to tell them to you. Mm -hmm. But he does tell authorities that after he took the ransom photo, which Samantha was already dead, we know now, 
He dismembered her body and took her to a lake north of Anchorage, cut a hole in the ice, and then put her in. Mm. Search teams found the lake. They found a semi-fresh fishing hole. And they Mm. put underwater robots in, and they found Samantha's body right away. So she was able to be cremated and laid to rest with a memorial service. So at least her family was able to get closure right, and say goodbye. And that's one thing that he did good in mm-hmm. his awful, awful, horrific mm-hmm. life. But that's not all. Israel then decides that he wants to tell them everything. He, well, not everything, but he wants to tell them more. He wants to spill the tea. He tells police that he's been living this double life for like 15 years and that no one, not one single person, has any idea who he actually is. He tells police all about his travels. He tells them about his murder kits. He admits to some of the crimes that I talk about in part one, you know, raping the girl in Oregon, his first murder in 2001, the couple that he murdered, multiple murders between 2005, 2006. The woman that he murdered in 2009, he tells him about the bank robberies. He tells him about arsons, the burglars, all of it. None with any specific details. None. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Again, he says, I don't remember. I don't know any details. I don't believe him. I don't believe him for a freaking second. I think mm-hmm. that this was something that this was a game to him. Mm-hmm. Like he was a monster. They have over 40 hours of interviews with this man and no joke. During all of it, he shows absolutely no remorse, none. He's laughing. I listened to them. It was the biggest waste of time of my, and ever. It was such mm-hmm. a waste of time. Like, he tells them nothing that mm-hmm. is of any significant, you know, t- nothing that's helpful to, like, find these victims, give them peace, nothing. And he's so nasty. Like, it mm-hmm. is haunting. And I was shook. He admitted that he liked following news stories of these missing people in the media. And when he was asked why he committed all of these murders and crimes, he just said, why not? What? Why, why not? not? That's what yeah. he said. Okay. He requested. That's ex- the reason I give to have a drink in the end of the day. Why yeah. not? I mean, not murder people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should I have a drink? Why not? Should I murder people? No, I should not. <laughs> That's your answer, Israel. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. He requested an execution date right away. He wanted to get it over with right away. Wow. Right. And he also requested that his name not be made public because he was worried about his daughter and his family members. Like growing up with this hanging over this his head and he even says they're they're victims too and they are he's right but like that the things he feels bad about it's like yeah. well it's not it's not the it's not the thought of a sane person i mean because right he feels bad okay great he, do, he wants to be a better role model for his kid well then don't murder people number one don't yeah. do it for 15 years because I'm sorry, even if they say we'll keep your name out of the media, hello, it's going to get into the media no matter what. There's no chance that his name was not going to be out there. Well, ever. Right. But they did try because they wanted to get him to cooperate. So, okay, but Alaska doesn't have the death penalty. He's asking to be executed, but the Alaska doesn't have, they 
They can't happen there. But federally, we do. So federal cases, you can be, you know, tried for the death penalty. So they're like, you got to you got to give us more. Like right now, all we have you on is this murder in Alaska. And then we've got these other crimes that you're saying you committed, but we have no way to tie you to any of them. We don't, we can't prove it. What do you need to get a federal case? Do you know? Well, different states, you have to commit crimes in different states, first of all. Um, I mean, I don't know specifically. And he hasn't, but he's given them that, but he hasn't given them enough detail. They don't have any proof that he did him. He's just saying he did. They don't know whether, I mean, they can't say for sure. They can't charge him in any of these mm-hmm. crimes in a, any of these other places because this is just him saying that. He won't give them any information mm-hmm. for, to be like, there's a murder weapon here. There's a body here. There's like, he won't tell him anything. So they're like, we have to be able to prove these. Like, you have to give us names. You have to help us help you. <laughs> so they do search Israel's computer and they find articles of a missing couple Bill and Lorraine Courier. So they ask him about them. They're like, why do you have these articles? Why did you search these people? Why, why have you been following their disappearance in, in, you know, on your computer? So he's like, mm. oh, okay. Okay. So Bill and Lorraine had been missing from their home in Essex, Vermont, since June of 2011. They'd last been seen by their neighbors in their yard. Bill was doing some yard work and Lorraine was in the backyard smoking a cigarette This couple had been married since 1985, so for 26 years at this point, and Bill was 50 and Lorraine was 55. They lived in a small one-story home in Vermont, and they both worked for the University of Vermont. Bill was an animal caretaker, and Lorraine worked in the medical school. They're described as friendly, peaceful, good people. They were sort of homebodies. They loved their pets. And they were both reported missing in June of 2011 when they didn't show up to work and didn't call. Mm. Friends and family went to the home to check on them. And they noticed that the glass in the garage door was broken. So they called the police. Police go in. They see the broken door. There's no robbery. There's no signs of a struggle. But the couple is just gone. They can't Mm -hmm. find them anywhere. So all this time goes by, their car was found in an abandoned parking lot that was like five miles away from the home. And there were pieces of the broken glass from the door in the car. So they knew that that they had been in the car since after the glass was broken, but they they were gone. Nobody Mm -hmm. could find them. No one had heard from them. There was no activity on any of their bank accounts, nothing. Again, this was almost a year earlier. So for all these months, these two people had just vanished until Israel Keys is arrested and they find a search of him on their computer and he decides to come clean. Mm -hmm. So he tells investigators that in June of 2011, he flew to Chicago, flew to Chicago, rented a car and drove 1,000 miles to Vermont, picked up one of his murder kits that had been hidden near the courier's home. It had been hidden for almost two years. He then stayed at a nearby hotel and chose a house within walking distance. He said that he chose the courier's home because it was a small ranch. And so he figured no kids would be there. There would be no children in the home. Hmm. He waited until around midnight, cut the phone lines, broke into the attached garage. He held the couple at gunpoint and zip tied them. He then asked them if they had any guns in the house 
which they told him about and he took, and he also took their cell phones and ATM card. He then put them in their own vehicle, drove them to an abandoned home that he had staked out previously. He left Lorraine in the car, took Bill inside, and tied him to a stool in the basement. While he was inside, Lorraine got out of the car and was running. Oh, wow. So he had to chase her. She was running, like, towards the main road. So he had to chase her. He did catch her, tackled her, and got her inside the house. He took her to a bedroom and tied her arms and legs to the bed. Bill was yelling from the basement. He's, like, screaming. Mm. He knows that his wife is in the house. He's yelling for her. So Israel goes down to check on him, and he sees that Bill had gotten, like, partially loose from some of his restraints. And this just pissed Israel off because mm-hmm. he was like, this is not how I want this to go. And he lost control and reports that he hit Bill repeatedly with a shovel. Oh, gosh. He then shot him several times, killing him. She then went back upstairs to Lorraine, who is hearing all of this. Mm-hmm. He sexually assaults her several times, strangling her in the process over and over again, to where she loses consciousness, all that. Mm. Oh, my gosh. He then takes her down to the basement and makes her look at her husband's body. What? He then strangles her from behind until she died. So this is such a brutal and torturous, like, murder of these two people, of this nice couple, and it's just one of many that we know about. We don't even know. This is just like, he's just like, cool, I'll just tell you about this one. Mm -hmm. Like, how many more of their awful stories are there like this? Right. Okay, so then he drug their bodies into a corner of the basement, doused them with Drano, and covered them, like with debris and whatever he could find. Then he took their car to a nearby parking lot where his rental car was parked. And he left. He left town. He what? flies back to Chicago, then he flies to California and spends a couple days there, then he goes to Alaska. No trace, just gone like a ghost. And they're, these people are just missing. Mm-hmm. So he tells investigators the location of the gun that he used to shoot Bill, and it was found by authorities. Oh. He also told them the location of the abandoned house that he took them to, and so they go there to search it, but... Just a few months prior, the house had been demolished. (gasps) No. So it was completely torn down and leveled without anyone knowing that there were bodies in the basement. Oh, my God. So authorities go to the landfill where the, the, like, remains of this demolished house was taken. It's like a local landfill. And they search the landfill for 12 weeks. But Bill and Lorraine's bodies were never found. Never. Still to this day, they've never been found. So they also find a search on his computer for a missing woman from New Jersey named Deborah Feldman. And so they're like, well, we hit, you know, spot on whenever we found this other search. So let's ask this guy about her. Mm -hmm. And they show him a picture of her. And he didn't deny, like, having anything to do with her disappearance. But he just said he didn't want to talk about it. Hmm. This is why I hate him. Yeah. The most. He, he's like in control. 
Oh, it's gross. It's it's like I said, it's a game to him. So during the months of interviews, remember I said they have over 40 hours of interviews. But in September of 2012, Israel's name was leaked to a media source. And his crimes that were already being publicized, they started linking them to him. Mm. Like, so he stopped cooperating with investigators. He was like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. In November of 2012, investigators had just started to gain his trust back, and they had finally gotten him to agree to reveal the locations of all of his murder kits, Mm -hmm. which would be awesome for them because then they would have a better idea of what specific areas he was in, and they would know where they needed to start looking for missing people or unsolved murders or things like that. But in his final gameplay... On December 2nd, 2012, while he was awaiting trial for his murders, at 34 years old, Israel Keyes was found dead in his prison cell. He had somehow been able to secure and hide a razor blade, and he had slit both of his wrists very deeply and strangled himself with a bedsheet. He left a suicide note under his bed that was entitled Ode to Murder. I read it. Honestly, again, huge waste of my time. It's like nonsense. I couldn't even Mm. make sense of it. It's like a poem. It's Mm. just gross and disgusting. And I hate him. I just made me hate him so much more. He doesn't give any information about other victims, anything like that. Like nothing, literally nothing Mm -hmm. helpful. It's just nonsense. And I mean, anyway, I can't go on. About how much I hate him for not giving these families closures. Also under his bed, they found drawings in blood. One was of a pentagram. And then there was 11 skulls. And written in blood, under that, it said, we are one. What? So, right. So officially, he was only charged with the murders of Bill and Lorraine Courier and Samantha Koenig. He confessed to eight, but the FBI believes that they can link him to 11 because those 11 skulls that he left, Mm -hmm. they believe were like a victim count for him. They represent the people. But it is also possible that he killed upwards of 30 or more because of all of the travel and all of these places that they can connect him to actually being. So, like, you can really go down a rabbit hole if you want to find his travel and then go look at, like, unsolved murders or missing persons cases. Because, like, okay, so let's say in February 2005, he flies into Dallas, but then there's a murder in Houston around the same time, and it's unsolved. Right. Technically, that could be him. Like, he literally could have done any of them. Any unsolved case, any unsolved murder, any missing persons case, he could right. be linked to so many of them. So authorities to this day are still revisiting unsolved murders and missing persons cases, tracing his travel and trying to find any links. Right. But he left no links. Like the truth is we're never going to know. Yeah. So his daughter was 10 years old at the time of his arrest. So she would be like in her early 20s now. And I hope that she has been able to separate herself and move on and live a healthy, normal life. Israel Keys goes down in history as being one of the only confessed serial killers who was never actually convicted of any crime. Oh, 
Wow. And that is the story of Israel Keys, the American serial killer, rapist, arsonist, burglar, and bank robber. And he took the coward's way out. Yeah, he did. Absolutely did. Disgusting. And he played his gross game till the very end. And I know where he is. I know, too. I don't even know if that place is good enough for him. (laughs) Like, is there somewhere deeper? (laughs) We can send him. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know why you uh, were slightly uh, stressed about all this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At the time of researching, glad it's behind you. and It's but. behind us. Yes, it is. It is done. Serial kill. well, Serial Killer September episodes are done. We're still chatting about them. Mm-hmm. One so more we're gonna live. we're going to be live Sunday night. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Instagram. Who wants to talk about Israel Keys? Not me. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all can. <laughs> we'll chat. I have some. We also have some notes on like how our serial killers. Because last year we did like how are they similar? Well, as yeah, like we'll our do bonus a episode. Up. But that um that'll be interesting to talk about then too. Yeah, come hang out with us. If you can't hang out with us. That's cool, too. We'll release it as an episode come Monday morning so you guys can hear all the nonsense that goes on on our lives. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> if you can join us, come and do that. We answer questions. Right. We tell stories. It's really just a hangout time. So come yeah. and do that with us. Yeah, it'll be fun. And then we're done. And then it's October. Okay, bye. And then done. <laughs> and then so, you guys, that's a wrap for episodes for Serial Killer September. We'll see you next year. <laughs> next the serial killers <laughs> and we will be yeah exactly okay. we will be revived enough to or like relaxed enough to do it again because after we're do- done with this we're like oh my gosh why do we do this it's true but we will take a long enough break from these crazies to be okay to do it again i think oh yeah and stay tuned for special episode in october too or early november ish mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're gonna do yes. a special episode coming up merch yeah still have a merch. code going get your last minute merch with the code keep listening come back um come to our live and then come back for a brand new normal episode beginning of october i don't know what date it is so i'm not gonna say the date and <laughs> just keep in mind guys these guys that we have focused on this month these two nut jobs they are prime examples of why the world is scary people suck hide in your closets <laughs>